Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be talking about the church of Laodicea. Now, most all Christians are familiar with this church. The reason why we're familiar with it is because there's some very, if you will, colorful language that God uses when he describes this particular church, which we'll get into in just a moment. Uh, it's a warning. This is the only church in the book of Revelation, and there's seven churches that are discussed. This is the one and only church that God has literally nothing good to say about it. So it's very interesting. Uh, we just moved Revelation from Sunday nights up to Sunday morning, uh, starting today, and we'll be staying in the book of Revelation for quite some time on Sunday morning. You say, why? Uh, because, folks, things are happening again uh, around the world, right here domestically, things we need to be aware of, things the Bible speaks to prophetically. And uh, we'll get into that as we get into the message this morning. So I like to say we love to peel God's word or, or one passage at a time. Peeling God's prophetic word this morning, one passage at a time. These, quite frankly, Revelation, specifically Revelation, is a book that many pastors avoid. You say, well, why is that? It's, uh, uh, the issue is twofold. One is you have to uh, study Revelation. It just isn't going to pop off the page and have a tremendous amount of meaning to some people. You say, well, why is that? The Bible should be simple for everyone. Well, let me remind you, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, God says to do what? Study to show yourselves approved unto God, workmen and workwomen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly handling, rightly dividing the word of truth. Everything in the Bible is not simplistic. Uh, I, I'm saying this simply because I think it's, it's, it has a bit of meaning. I have two earned doctorates in theology. I've gone through multiple Bible schools. I've gone through a lot of education. You say, well, if the Bible's so simple, why did you waste your time doing that? Well, it wasn't a waste of time. It was necessary uh, to spend the time learning the scriptures. There are things in there that are so simple that the little uh, kindergartners that came up here can understand it. There's young people that have gotten saved or trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Some of them may have already done that at their young age. It doesn't take a lot. God made the gospel simple. You're a sinner. You deserve uh, punishment. And Jesus Christ came down from heaven, died on a cross for your sins. And little children understand. They know when they're naughty, don't they? Huh? You say, well, mine, mine won't admit to it. Well, they know. <laughs> as soon as they know they're a sinner, it's time to trust Christ. Now, many of us do it when we're much later in life, but uh, it's so simple a little child can understand that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? I mean, they, they know that many trust Christ at a young age. But prophecy is not quite that simple. The book of Revelation, and uh, those of you that have been on Sunday night, it's a little bit of a, a repeat on this. The word apocalyptic, it is a, apocalypsis is the Greek word which is translated revelation. The, the, the title of the Bible uh, book that you're looking at right now, the book of Revelation, apocalypsis, it's an unveiling, a disclosure, things that are revealed that God hadn't revealed in the past. So to understand apocalyptic style writing is not easy sometimes. You say, well, why is that? Well, we're going to look at things like a dragon. We're going to look at things like a 
beast. We're going to look at, uh, at descriptions of another beast. We're going to look at many different things in Revelation that God uses symbolic language to describe something that's literal. You say, well, what's, what's the difference? I, I know we like to take the Bible literally, and we do. But God chooses, especially looking back at the first century, he chooses things that specifically would have the first century individuals reading Revelation would have understood the mythology that was going on about dragons and beasts and horrible things and four-headed creatures. All that kind of stuff is in here. And you say, well, how do you figure out if it's symbolic or literal or if it is symbolic? How do you know what it's referring to? Well, the good thing about apocalyptic literature is God defines what those symbols mean. So you just have to study a little bit and it's going to come out. So when we're looking at what we call apocalyptic absolutes, we're looking at things that God made very clear these are going to happen. And again, for uh, our Sunday night folks, a little bit of repeat, but uh, when you look at the Word of God from Genesis 1 all the way through the, the end of Revelation chapter 22, there are approximately, as we've stated, 1,000 prophecies in the Bible. 500 of those prophecies have come to fulfillment exactly as stated. That means 500 more need to come to fulfillment exactly as stated, and they will. In Revelation, you're going to see a massive amount of those 500 prophecies that God talks about that will be coming to pass. By the way, Wednesday night, we're talking about mainly focusing on things that are looking at globalism. Do you know that that's a prophetic, that's a prophecy in scriptures? The world will come under a one world system, Revelation chapter 13. Do you think that there will be a one world government? There will be. Revelation 13. Will there be a one world economy? There will be. Revelation 13. There will be a one world religion. Revelation chapter 13. So folks, I, I invite you to uh, keep coming and learning the word of God as we go through it. Again, I like to make this very clear. We do not allegorize the scripture. We interpret it literally, what God says he means, and we'll be bringing that out. All right, so uh, again, very quickly, uh, just a bit of a timeline as to what we're looking at in Revelation. So when we look at Revelation, specifically the first three chapters, we're looking about things that were literally taking place in the first century. Revelation chapter 1, uh, we're looking at things that the uh, apostle John had seen, things which had taken place. Revelation 2 and 3, where we're at this morning, God is writing to churches that existed during the first century. By the way, not a single one of those churches exists 2,000 years later, and there's reasons for that. But he's addressing literal churches that existed during that time period. The book of Revelation, the outline is listed in verse 19. And the Apostle John is told through the Holy Spirit, write the things which you have seen, that's chapter 1, and the things which are, that's chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches, and the things which will take place after this. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 is where most conservative scholars believe that the rapture of the church will take place. You do not see the word church used after Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. 
everything from Revelation chapter 4 verse 2 through the end of uh, Revelation chapter 22 is all prophetic. Every single thing, every single word. So we're going to be looking at that over the next multiple weeks. All right, well, let's get into the message this morning. Is the same true familiarity breeds contempt. We're going to be looking at the church at Laodicea and these individuals basically knew about the Bible. They understood who God was and their relationship was as flat as flat could be. There's nothing there. As I stated, Laodicea is the only church of the seven churches listed in Revelation 2 and 3 where there's not one positive thing said about them. Now, folks, when we look at Union Grove Baptist Church and wonderful things that God's been doing here, this is what we don't want to do, all right? So we're looking at the church at Laodicea. These are the things. We're going to look at them. We're going to understand them. And I'm going to show you from a geographical and archaeological uh, 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 couple of things. We've got some beautiful slides for you today that will point out exactly what God's talking about. I think you'll be amazed by this. Let me ask you one more question. Is your walk with God always on a spiritual plateau? Are you up here walking with God? Life is good. The blessings of God are there. Or is your life more like this? Up and down, up and down, a spiritual roller coaster. We're going to try and give you some things that will hopefully help you this morning with that. So to put this into perspective, uh, over the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to examine five biblical truths to avoid becoming a complacent Christian. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Again, the last book of the Bible, Revelation 3, verse 14. And to the angel or the preacher or the messenger, the word uh, uh, there is angelos, it doesn't necessarily mean an, a physical angel, it's the way the translators did it in English, but the word actually means a messenger, one delivering a message. So most of, uh, again, looking at the conservative scholars, the word angel might better be used as messenger to the pastor, to the uh, other words used in scripture, the bishop, the elders, so forth. So basically to the leader of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things, says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And God says, listen, church of Laodicea, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, and here's those harsh, harsh words from our Lord, because you are neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. We're going to look culturally at what was three major things that were taking place in Laodicea and why God uses this uh, uh, counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Number two, and white garments. This all has a historical context. That you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Here's the third cultural context. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Verse 18, very important, three specific things. As many as I love, 
I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, I pray now as we open up the only book you've ever given us to read, the precious word of God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, there are uh, many of us that we read this and we actually tremble inside saying, Lord, we don't want to be like this church that you had nothing good to say about. Father, I pray that you help us individually, individually and corporately to reject the things that this church did and to embrace the things that you encouraged other churches to do. And Father, as we look at this, we ask you to do what only you can do, and that is revive the saved and save the lost. So Father, we commit this morning to you, do what only you can do, in Jesus' precious name, amen. If you look on uh, uh, the map, you'll find Laodicea, again, one of the seven churches in what was called Asia Minor. Now, folks, that is, if I asked you to take me to Asia Minor on the map, many of you would say, well, where's Asia Minor? And uh, because it's an old-school term, the modern-day land is known as Turkey. So uh, Turkey is, is the big area, Laodicea, way off to the western side with the other six churches that are mentioned. We put Israel up there just to give you an idea where Israel is and where these churches were that existed during uh, at least the first and the second century to give you a little context. This is, uh, we're going to show you a few pictures of, uh, I've been to uh, Laodicea and uh, uh, this is not pictures I've taken, these are aerial pictures and no I cannot fly without an airplane so uh, we did borrow these from other individuals but this is what's left of the, the area of Laodicea. Laodicea is, is, uh, resides in a place called the Lycus Valley. The problem with Laodicea is, as we're going to find out, is that they had a very hard time getting water. Water was not easy to come by in this particular city. And that's going to play into the specific things that God talks about when we're looking at Laodicea. Here's another shot. Uh, again, we're in Turkey. There's a lot of open land. It's beautiful. Uh, these archaeological ruins, uh, many people from around the world come in to restore these sites, dig up the, the pillars and the different uh, buildings, and they try and construct them somewhat. And this is what you would see today if you came there. I want to point out a temple that was uncovered and slightly reconstruction, reconstructed. Now, folks, think about this. Every single one of the seven churches that we've examined, and especially if you've been here on Sunday night, one of the huge things about urban areas, which were these where these seven churches existed, was there was a lot of paganism going on in the first century. False gods, those that uh, the people were being uh, persuaded, these are the, uh, the gods, plural, small g, that you should follow. And then you had, if you will, the missionaries that came in during the first century, those that we read about in the scriptures, and they come in and they preach the gospel and folks get saved. But folks, you know what usually happens in an urban city when uh, folks get saved and then you go to work like you do and you go to your different places of business or you may go to other places and talk about Jesus and what happens? Uh, yeah, okay, bye. 
get away from me. And uh, persecution starts in some places. And some of you in schools have told me uh, about the difficulties uh, in the younger grades or even in uh, upper grades when you go there and, and you're pushed down and you're uh, looked upon as uh, uh, ignorant or uh, worse because you have a faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to see how that works out this morning. A few more pictures, again, more temples, more uh, uh, beautiful columns that existed back in the day, the colonnades and so forth that uh, were there during those times. It's, uh, it's amazing to see these things, but folks, remember, God's talking about a church that existed in this very property when those things were literally standing approximately two thousand years ago now God brought out in the book of Revelation he said I wish you were hot or cold why did he use that language well we're going to show you exactly why he used it and if you've never been to uh, Turkey and most of you probably haven't I uh, thank God for the privilege that uh, Valerie and I have had to travel around and see many of these biblical sites but many times, and no disrespect to uh, preachers that have never been to these places and understood the, uh, uh, what was literally being said in this passage. So you'll hear preachers say, well, if you're on fire for God, if you're hot for God, that's good. But if you're cold, that's not good, and, you know, and your heart's cold, and that's not what this passage is talking about. And again, no disrespect to those that have heard that, preached it, or even said it themselves. Without understanding what God's talking about and literally being there, this may not make sense. But we're going to make it sense this morning. And I think this is one of the most phenomenal passages when you understand uh, the geography here. Now, if you look on uh, the map, you'll see the word Heropolis. And right underneath it, you see a big white mass. Most people, when they look at that, think it's snow. It is not snow. It is the uh, 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 sulfur and so forth from the hot springs that have been spilling over that mountain and traveling down the road. See where we're going? Heropolis was the place of hot water. And God said, I wish you were hot. I wish you were like Heropolis where the hot springs uh, uh, were flowing down. But by the time the water got from Heropolis down to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. The beautiful hot waters, and when we were there, there are a bunch of uh, uh, folks from Turkey and places from around the world that come to Heropolis to jump into the beautiful hot spring water, and it's enjoyable, and it's beautiful, and it's great in Heropolis. But by the time it trickled down into Laodicea, which had very little water, that water was lukewarm. Can you imagine drinking sulfury, lukewarm water? I'm not so sure I'd like it cold either or hot, uh, but it was basically useless by the time it got to Laodicea. Heropolis, the beautiful hot springs. Some of you folks have hot tubs, or you, you like to go to places that have hot tubs, or you like to take a steamy hot shower, and it's fun, and it's nice, and it's relaxing, and it's medicinal. And God says hot water is good, but you don't have hot water at Laodicea. You stand at uh, the base of Laodicea and you look off to another direction and you look out and you see mountains that have white on them too. That is snow. And you look up at Colossae from uh, Laodicea and you can see it. And you see the mountains up there and the, the, the snow begins to melt. That beautiful water begins to come down and form the springs at the base of Colossae. And it's, it's nice, cool water. 
And people, if they're, they were at Colossae and they go over to that beautiful springs and they dip their hands in or some type of a, a, a glass and they get the wonderful cold water and it's refreshing. And God said, I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold. But you're lukewarm. By the time the water came down from the beautiful mountains, and I've actually, even 2,000 years later, some of the troughs, if you will, that still exist there, you can see where, uh, and there actually was, there was a little teeny trickle of spring water still coming down, if you will, not spring water, but mountain water uh, coming down to Laodicea. So what we look at in the, in, the, in the scriptures then, God's looking at this. We're looking at the brown where Laodicea was. We have the hot springs of Heropolis. We have the cold water from the mountains of Colossae. And it's all flowing down to Laodicea. And God says, I like Heropolis water. It's nice and hot. It's useful. I like the water from Colossae. It's cool. It's refreshing. And it's good. But Laodicea, you're neither hot nor cold. You're not good for anything. It's not good medicinally. It's not good uh, to drink. You're just plain old lukewarm. Revelation chapter 14, uh, first part of the verse, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen. Every time we finish a prayer, what do we say? Amen. 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 It is finished. Lord, uh, take this. Uh, make it happen. It is finished. And we put the amen on it, and God says, it's amen with me. Everything I say is going to be accomplished. It's going to come to pass. And the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, says the amen. Now, he's bringing out two specific words here. The faithful and what? True witness. You know why he's bringing this out? And every single letter, he's bringing out different attributes of who he is. He's looking at Laodicea. They are neither faithful, neither are they a true witness. They are lukewarm. And God is pointing out, listen, you want to know where truth is? John chapter 14, verse 6, we all know it. I am the, the, the what? The truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes unto the Father except through me. I am the faithful. I am the true witness, unlike the church at Laodicea, which uh, uh, is neither true nor faithful to God's word. Folks, how important is it that we at Union Grove Baptist Church in every single thing we do from Sunday morning to Sunday school to uh, our teen groups to our children groups, every single thing we do, it's got to be centered upon the word of God and it must be accurate. It's got to be right. I, I, I hesitate to use these words, but I use them quite a bit in, in writings and so forth. Get it right. Get it right. We can't get it wrong. And uh, we do everything we can. We study. We work hard. We try and make sure that everything we say publicly, and, and individual that is, uh, to get it right, to be faithful and true witnesses for the Lord. When you go into your workplaces and your schools, and you meet with your families, and you're trying to share the word of God with people, and you're trying to share the gospel with people, you don't want to get it wrong. How tragic that would be. We want to get it right. What else does he say? Jesus Christ, he is the beginning of creation. He's setting down the foundations of who he is in the scriptures. He is the amen. He's the finality. He is the faithful and true witness. And he's the beginning of all creation. Folks, take a look in the mirror and find out who created you. It's God. He is the uh, beginning of the creation. Colossians chapter 
18 says, For by him, by Jesus Christ, we're speaking about the Lord now, the Lord Jesus, by him, by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. By the way, that's all talking about the spiritual realm, principalities, powers. All things were created through him and for him. You want to know why you were created? Yeah, fellowship with the Lord. You say, really? We'll talk about this in the Sunday school time. You know what one of the biggest problems that people have? Nobody likes me. Pastor, I don't have a single friend. I don't know what it is, but I can't make one single friend. And it's tough and it's hard and I feel all alone and nobody cares about me. Folks, that happens over and over and over again. I've been in megachurches and I hear the same thing. Thousands of people on, at church on Sunday morning and God's people will walk through the door and many of them, many, not a one, not a two, not dozens of people will walk in and say, I don't have a single friend at church. I don't have a single friend on the outside. Nobody cares about me. And folks, it breaks my heart. It really does. There's 7.3 billion people on this earth. 7.3 billion people. 350, pe 350 million people in America. And there are many, 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 many thousands and probably hundreds of thousands of people that feel that nobody cares about them. That's tragedy. That's why we like to say with the church that God's love is building along with chicken dinners. Say, Brother Rich, why are you doing another chicken dinner today for uh, folks that missed uh, uh, meals in the past with their deacon or with you and your wife? It's because you got to know that you're special. That's exactly why. God's people need to know that God's people care about them. You say, well, I've got Jesus, that's all I need. No, God said you need Jesus, but you also need people. The first commandment is love the Lord your God with every part of your being. The second commandment, Jesus said, is to love your neighbor. What? Folks, you got to have people in your life. you got to love people. you got to care for people. And most of you have been doing it. And you bring folks and you love on them. And I love that. A visitor walks in and they get mugged in a good way. <laughs> and you walk up to him and I see every time somebody walks in for the first time and boy if you're here and that's been you and for some reason somehow we missed you. Oh, that would I mean that's a killer for us. But God says I've created all things. What else did he say? John chapter 1 verse 1 In the beginning was the word speaking of Jesus Christ and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus Christ, by the way, is not a created individual. He's always been. He's part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Always been. Eternity past to eternity future. He was in the beginning with God, God the Father. All things were made through whom? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Uh, Jesus is the amen. He's the faithful and true witness. He's the beginning of the creation. Now we need to go to what we do in all seven churches that we've looked at and take a look at the commendation for the church of Laodicea. 
I love to go through the commendations that God gives to the other churches. And, and if you've been here on Sunday nights, and by the way, all those are on our uh, uh, videos and so forth on our website at myugbc.com. You can see them there. And I love to go through the things that God praises the churches about. And we get to Laodicea, and it's like, all right, what did this church do? Woo, we're going to get to the good stuff. And God's silent. Silent. If you would have given a report card, they wouldn't have gotten the gifts this morning because they would have flunked. They wouldn't have passed the grade. They didn't, have the, they didn't cut the muster, so to speak. They're done. F. Do not pass go. In a Monopoly game, you're not getting any money, go to jail. Done. Over. Not one single thing God could say good about this particular church. Folks, may it never be so here at our church, Unigrove Baptist, but we need to learn from their mistakes. I want to take just a couple of minutes and go through the other six churches where God does praise them. Here's the things when we encapsulate all these six things together that we need to look at. Number one, church at Ephesus, Revelation 2. The positive thing about the church at Ephesus, God said, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. In other words, they took a positive stand for the word of God. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. In other words, you won't put up with false teachers. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Notice at the bottom of the screen, I put a church up there. Oh, yeah, that would be Union Grove Baptist Church. And I say, yeah, that's, that's exactly what we want to be here at, at Union Grove Baptist Church. Let's go to the next one, Smyrna, Revelation chapter 2, verse 9. And he, Jesus says, I know your works. He says, I know you've gone through horrible tribulation, terrible persecution. I know many of you, uh, you lost your jobs, you're in poverty. That's what he was speaking about. They lost everything. They're in absolute uh, financial chaos because the people in Smyrna wouldn't give them a job. They cast it. Get away from us. And God says, I know what. God bless you for being faithful. The church of Pergamos, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. It was a big urban place with tremendous amount of uh, uh, idolatry and paganism. And he said, despite that, he says, I want to commend you. You did good. You held fast to my name and you did not deny my faith. Yeah, people were pushing you down. They were persecuting. They were hard on you. And you said, that's okay. I'm going to keep going. I don't care if they reject me. I don't care if they uh, come out against the Lord. I'm going to keep telling them. I'm not going to give up. Folks, don't ever give up on anybody. Don't ever give up. Some people get, get a, uh, it's easy to, to get a bad attitude about somebody. And they usually bring up some horrible criminal. A murderer. Somebody that's just absolutely off the charts has done abominable things. Think of Jeffrey Dahmer. Everybody said, a guy like that can't get saved. I believe he trusted Christ before he was murdered in prison. How can that be? How can God save someone who's so horrible and has done such reprobate things? God says, you're no different. Our hearts are as wicked as Jeffrey Dahmer's. Say, I can't, I am not accepting that because 
You better accept it. Because God demonstrates his love towards us and this and that. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Doesn't matter if it's murder, doesn't matter if it's adultery, doesn't matter if it's drug use, doesn't matter if it's uh, 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 ten zillion other different things. Every single one of us is a dirty, rotten sinner for whom Christ died. Amen? Amen. I mean, God loves us. And God loves these people. Don't ever give up. Never give up. Never give up. Revelation chapter 2, verse 19, Thyatira, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. As for your works, the last are more than the first. You're doing good, Thyatira. Keep it up. Sardis. Well... This is kind of a backhanded compliment. And God says to the angel of church in Sardis, write these things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive. If we cut that right there, we'd be in good shape. He says, yeah, uh, the folks on the outside of your church, they think you're doing really good. Yeah, we should skip the next part. He said, but you're dead. You think you're alive, you're looking good to the others. That part's good, but not a very good church on that. So kind of a backhanded compliment. Philadelphia, I know your work. See, I've set before you an open door. No one can shut it. For you have a little strength. You've kept my word. You have not denied my name because you have kept my command to persevere. You have kept my command to persevere. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. <laughs> no, Lord, not me. Peter, come here, buddy. You're going to mess up. No, Lord, I would not. I'm, I promise you, I'm not going to mess up with it. I'm not going to do it. Crock crows, rooster crows once. Crows twice. Crows three times, and Peter denies the Lord three times. The one he walked with, don't ever tell me that God's people never make a mistake. Peter walked with God, he was a disciple of Jesus Christ, he was a believer in Jesus Christ, and when the going got tough, he folded. And all of a sudden, he sees Jesus, and Jesus looks at Peter. What did Peter do? He went out and wept bitterly. Folks, God's people do make mistakes, God's people do do wrong. Sometimes it's because they literally haven't trusted Christ. Other times it's because it fell on their face. What do you do when somebody falls on their face? You pick them up. You pick them up. You persevered. Commendation of the church of Laodicea, none. Spiritual profession, Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish, oh, I wish you were cold or hot so then because you are lukewarm because you're not serving me because it's nothing more than a social club because the Lord Jesus is not uh, exonerated or uh, lifted up if you will because there's no worship because there's no soul winning because there's no Bible study because there's no doctrine because you failed miserably in everything you do outside of showing up on Sunday morning I'm going to vomit this church out of my mouth ooh ouch you're not hot, you're not cold, you just exist. And I say, Lord, please, 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 may it never so be. Folks, we need to learn from these mistakes they made. And I think we have learned here. I've never seen any of this, and I trust never will. But it's such a good reminder. Here's what can happen if you let things slip. If you become complacent in your walk with God. Complacency kills I've on occasion told, and I try not to do too many quote-unquote war stories from when I was in law enforcement for 32 years. 
but complacency kills. And I've gone through that when I went to roll calls back when I was doing supervisory work and, and the, 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 the troops would show up, the, the officers would show up, the deputies would show up, and we'd have uniform inspection, make sure all their tools were on their belt. Where's your badge? Uh, forgot it. You know what's going to happen when you pull somebody over with a, without your badge on? They're going to say, where's your badge? And they're going to get scared, and they're going to flee, and they're going to call uh, the sheriff and say, uh, I got stopped by a false cop today, didn't have a badge. Go home and get your badge. Where's your gun? You see, like you're serious. People show up without their gun. Yeah, they show up without a gun. What happens when you're complacent and you don't have your handcuffs and you can't uh, put the, uh, restrain somebody properly? What happens when you don't have the appropriate weapons? What happens if you don't have uh, your uh, OC spray, uh, least, least, least lethal weapons, that type of thing? We start low and you escalate if necessary. Where's all the weapons? Go home and get them. You're not going to the battlefield today. I've told many, several times about going into a squad car and everybody usually had a partner one shift to another shift. And uh, uh, I'd always check the squad every single time. You know why? Because I go under the seat and you know what I would find on occasion? A loaded gun sitting there that the previous guy was complacent about, forgot to search the individual, cuffed him, stuck him in the back of a squad car. The guy pulls the gun out, fortunately didn't shoot the deputy, and dumped the gun in the car. Complacency kills! And God says, I don't want you to be complacent Christians. I want you to walk with me. I want you to love with me. I want you to make me the center of your life and not be complacent. What else does God say? I want you to be like Heropolis with the hot springs. I want you to be like Colossi with the cool, cold water. What else does he say? Uh, 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 it's a spiritual poverty. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy, you have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. They were a wealthy community. Laodicea was known for their tremendous wealth. And God says, listen, you think you got a ton of money in the bank, but you're as poor as can be. Folks, we look at some of the major players in our economy that have recently died. And as we like to say, not a single one had a U-Haul attached to the back of his car. Money doesn't count. He says, I, I want you to uh, be refined. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. He says, you want to be uh, right with me. You want to be rich. It's not about money. It's not how many dollars you have in the bank or in your pocket or under the mattress. It's about being wealthy in spiritual wealth. He says uh, that you might have white garments. In Laodicea, they had black wool. Black wool. And uh, they had beautiful black wool. It was known around uh, the known world at that time. And he said, I want you to be spiritually white. I want you to have on the white garments, if you will, instead of uh, the black wool that you're used to. That you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve. Laodicea was known for the best medicinal eye salve. They were known for those three things. Wealth, black wool, and eye salve. And God, bam, he smacks them on all three accounts. He says, you need to have gold that's refined. You need to be spiritually like fine gold. You need to be spiritually white, wearing the white garments. You need to have spiritual eyes that have, if you will, the godly eye salve that only I can give. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. 
Therefore, Laodicea, be zealous and repent. Famous verse used all the time, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus is standing not only at the door of the church of Laodicea, he stands at the door of each of our hearts today. And God says, you're going to give me your heart? Are you going to become hot like the springs of Heropolis? Are you going to be cold like the mountain water from Colossae? I love that. It's useful. It's good. But if we just show up at church, if we just play the game on Sunday morning, if we just kind of walk the line half in, half out, God says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Oof. Oof. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Shakes his head. No answer. Just stands there and knocks. Come in! <laughs> Jesus says, oh, finally. I've been standing there knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. I've been trying to get your attention. I, my, my knuckles are bare from knocking on your door. And God says, I'm standing right here. I'm waiting for you. All you got to do is open the door. I'm going to come in. I'll, I'll meet with you. I'll, I'll dine with you. I'll sup with you. I'll spend time with you. I'll teach you my word. And God says, I've been waiting to get into your heart. I've been waiting to get into your life. And I'm standing there and I'm knocking and knocking and knocking. And folks, maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're watching on uh, the, the live stream this morning. And God's been knocking and knocking and knocking. And he's trying to get your attention. And God says, listen, uh, a Christian, first of all, uh, I'm knocking at the door. If you haven't been walking with me, don't go, don't go lukewarm on me. Stay hot. Stay cold. Be useful for me. For those of you whose hearts have never been touched by uh, the Lord Jesus, he stands today at the door of your heart and he's knocking and he's saying listen I want to come in I want to take you to heaven when you die I want to help your life be different and changed for my glory would you open up the door God says I'm not going to force that door open I'm going to knock I'm there at the door I'm knocking and you've heard it today folks what's the gospel we've already given it the gospel is this, we're all sinners, not a single one of us deserves to go to heaven, Revelation 21, 8, but we all deserve the awful penalty of hell. That's what I deserve, nothing more, nothing less. That's what I deserve. But Jesus said, I love you. I, I, I'm not. I came down from heaven and I went to the cross and I gave my life for your sins. And God said, I suffered as no man ever suffered before because I love you and I care about you and I want to take you to heaven when you die. And, I, and I'm there and I'm knocking now. And it's like uh, you've, you've heard the gospel. You understand your condition is sinful and lost. Laodicea, you're sinful. You're lost. You're not doing the right thing. And I'm standing here and I'm knocking, church. Church, open the door. Let me inside. Have you ever let him inside your heart? That's the most beautiful thing. He's knocking today. He's knocking today. Would you open the door of your heart and say yes to Jesus? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Would you give your heart to Jesus this morning? Christian, man, let's keep fighting the good fight. Let's keep staying away from those things which, which can so easily beset us and tear us down. What will you do with Jesus today? Father, I pray now that you'd uh, seal decisions that need to be made this very moment. Father, there's some right now, you've been knocking on the hearts of their door, uh, the door of individuals, and they know the right words, they've heard the right words, they sing the right songs, they've tried to do the right things, yet they've never opened up the door and allowed you to come in and save them. If that's you this morning, would you open the door? Would you let Jesus come in and save you this morning? You say, what do you mean save? Save from your sins. Save from the awful penalty of hell. You say, how do I do that? God made it so clear that we've, we've already gone through it so many times that we're lost, we're sinners. And Jesus said, I died for you. Will you accept my free gift? For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Folks, it doesn't start with good works. It starts with a broken heart and receiving the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Works will come later, but they're not part of salvation. Would you give your heart and life to Jesus? If you're a Christian here this morning, God's been knocking on some of our hearts. Are you lukewarm? Have you been half in, half out? Half hot, half cold? Have you been lukewarm? Ah, horrible state. It's vomitous. Would you give your heart and life back to Jesus this morning? Would you walk with him? If you need to trust Christ, why don't you call out right there where you are in your seat, silently pray something like this, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. And I understand that all my works are, are, are actually worthless, but that you paid the complete price when you went to the cross for my sins. And I'm receiving that free gift this very moment. Father, would you seal decisions? We commit all this to you and God's people say, Amen. Amen.